Welcome to Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney. We have a new believers packet going out, and it includes the King James Bible, the new King James Bible, uh, a first edition Heart of the Matter t-shirt that are in production, and a copy of uh, Born Again Mormon Moving Toward Christian Authenticity. So those new believers who come to the Lord or want to know more about Him, we're going to send those out. Let us know as we talk on the phone or whatever it might be. Let's start with a word of prayer if we can. Our Heavenly Father, we love you, we thank you, we dedicate this time to you, and we're grateful for the opportunity to have it. Let me step aside, let me prepare what you want me to say, and say it with love and conviction, and let the audience and listeners and viewers know of my heart and yours relating to this topic tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. This is our 10th show. Since March 7th, we've fielded more than 200 live calls on air, We've responded to hundreds of emails, and we've sent out well over a hundred books. But no matter what we say or discuss, most of the LDS calls or emails essentially say something like, well, you just don't understand. We are Christian, and you just haven't gotten that message. Last night, I was in a shuttle going from the airport to a hotel, and a very nice couple got in. They may be watching tonight. Hello if you are. And we got to talking. I knew they were LDS. I could tell. And they said, uh, what, what church do you belong to? And I said, well, I'm a Christian. And, and the, the woman very nicely said, so am I. And so many Latter-day Saints automatically believe they are Christian. And many may be. But when it comes to Mormonism, we have some issues. And I'm going to talk about some of those tonight. Tonight is going to sting a little bit. And I apologize in advance, not for what I'm going to say, but for the fact that I'm going to address this topic. But I feel inclined to present it, and the only way I can present it is by using some historical data. I usually don't revert to that. I think you know that, but tonight I have to. I would rather use address the present than attack the past. But in considering tonight's topic, it's important that you get a foundation of what the historical precedent was in Mormonism relative to the topic. Please know that when I am speaking to Mormons, I talk about Jesus, about spiritual rebirth, and about the Bible. But when I am talking about Mormonism, about the institution, I'm going to be a little stronger and I'm going to talk about doctrine and practice. Uh, I hope this makes sense, so with some trepidation, let me introduce tonight's topic. I said it softly. Don't get mad. I think you'll learn some things about the subject once we get into it. Present-day Mormonism works very hard at distancing itself from the practice of polygamy. Almost every news story that comes on the air, you will hear that's about polygamy. You'll hear the news person say, the Mormon church today has not practiced polygamy for 100 years. It is now an excommunicable event and they do not do it, etc., etc. Before we discuss the error of this, I want to give you some of the origins. Remember, I wouldn't mention this history if the LDS church presently was not involved in the topic. In 1830, a 14-year-old girl named Fanny Alger moved in to the area where the church was growing became a member of the church with her family, and sometime thereafter moved into Joseph Smith's home with he and Emma and became a house servant. Around 1833, they think, it could have been before, 
When Fanny would have been just 16 or 17 years old, she became Joseph Smith's first polygamous wife. Unbeknownst to Emma, this is not anti-Mormon rhetoric. This is an historic fact, an important one. The reason that it's important uh, is because it's going to give you an understanding of where it comes from and then why it continues to apply to the Latter-day Saint Church today. Not the offshoots, not the people who call themselves orthodox or fundamental, but the LDS Church in Salt Lake City today continues to practice aspects and promote aspects of polygamy regardless of what the newscasters say. Most of the information I'm, I'm going to quote from tonight, in fact, I think all of it, comes from Richard Bushman's book, uh, Joseph Smith, Rough Stone Rolling. Richard Bushman is a noted uh, historian. He's reliable, and he's a very active and good member of the LDS Church. This is not anti-Mormon literature, folks, so listen as we go on. According to the experts on the subject, like Todd Compton, Joseph Smith was secretly involved in plural marriage as early as 1833. He recorded a written revelation of the commandment 10 years later in 1843, but the actual public announcement of the revelation on plural marriage came out nine years later than that in 1852. And it is now known as Section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants. That's a book that Latter-day Saints hold up as canon, as equal with the Bible. They continue to use Doctrine and Covenants 132 today. Before 1840, Joseph Smith is thought to have married two women in addition to his first wife, Emma. Some say it was three. In 1841, he married three more women. In 1842, he married 11 more women. In 1843, he married 17 more women. Most of them, in the course of his polyga polygamous marriages, did not, were not known to Emma. It is thought that he married between 28 and 33 women, most of them in secret. Ten of Joseph Smith's wives were under the age of 20 when he married them. Eight were married to other men when they became his wife. In the actual marriage ceremonies that uh, Joseph was involved in, Joseph dictated the words that were to be said to the person, the man who was performing the marriage. All of this was done in the name of God. God commanded him to do this. God wanted him to do this. And in the, and in the uh, context of Doctrine and Covenants 132, God wants everybody to do that if they want to live in the eternal realms with him. Did you hear this? Present day, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints continues to support aspects of polygamy in one way or another, and I'm going to address those. Joseph Smith told one prospective wife that giving into plural marriage would, and I quote, ensure your eternal salvation and exaltation and that of your father's household and all your kindred. Joseph told the father who gave him his daughter as a plural wife that the marriage shall be a crown upon your heads with honor and immortality and eternal life to your house, both old and young. Speaking of plural marriage, the current Doctrine and Covenants, section 132, matter-of-factly states this. 
I reveal unto you a new and everlasting covenant. And if ye abide not in that covenant, then ye are damned. If you abide not in that covenant, then ye are damned. That is in the present day canon of the LDS church. Polygamy remains a vivid reality in the present day church in two distinctive ways. First, it is practiced and accepted spiritually among members of the church. How does this work? If I was an active Latter-day Saint, a male, and my wife were to pass away, I could find another active LDS person who's temple worthy and take her to the temple and be sealed to her as my wife for eternity. If she were to pass away, I could do it again. And again and again, ad infinitum, I could add wives to my eternal relationships in heaven under the LDS doctrine. If I were to pass away, my wife would not be allowed to be sealed eternally to any other man. She would just be mine. That's how it works today. People are spiritually, polygamously married in LDS temples. Second, polygamy continues to be emphasized in the church by giving virtue to the fact that the Doctrine and Covenants 132 remains a living part of present LDS scripture. It's true. It has never been rescinded. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints still supports and upholds polygamy as an eternal law of heaven. The doctrine is still there. There are LDS leaders both in the church and in this state's government who as recently as last night stated that the present day church has nothing to do with polygamy. That's not the case. That is not the case. And anybody who says that, turn to Doctrine and Covenants 132 or ask them if people can be sealed eternally in their temples polygamously. They can. So the LDS church today presently still has quite a bit of influence and uh, association with polygamy. I challenge the brethren to visit this, this section of their scripture and officially renounce it but, and stating that it was an uninspired practice of man from the beginning and that is not in line with the Christian ideals of love, morality, or marriage. God made Adam and Eve. He did not make Adam and Eve and Jane. Polygamy produces pain, plain and simple. It always has. It always will. And it is not a practice of God's or those who live with him later. Now, many Mormons will continue to insist on saying, but we don't practice it. It's part of our past. We have nothing to do with it. I just gave you two ways in which you have a great deal to do with it. But I want you to think about this, brothers and sisters. What kind of message does this send? We don't believe in it, but it's still in our canon. Doctrine and Covenants 132. We don't practice it, except for the man whose wife died and he just was polygamously sealed to another one for the eternities. What does this tell your children? I remember when I was on a high council, this is an anecdotal story I know and it doesn't prove anything except my own experience, but I had a man in our ward pass me by and mention to me that he thought a woman in the ward was going to make a really nice wife for him in the future uh, when he went on to live with God. 
this, this man was married, and the woman he was speaking of was married as well. Now, I realize that that's an exception, and it's, it's faulty according to doctrine, etc. But it does reveal the mindset that can exist in Latter-day Saints, so long as the LDS Church maintains to kind of secretly keep this stuff on the, on the side and act like it's not there. It's just not true. Examine your hearts, men of the LDS Church. You know it has crossed your mind. And what puts the thought there? Your own desire for power, control, lust, and luxury. 1 John 2.16 states it very clearly. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. LDS women, I would ask you to ask your husbands if they've ever thought about polygamous marriage in the future and see what their honest replies are. Ask them if they have that desire in their heart. Then look at section 132 and demand rescission from the leaders of the church so that you can say, we are drawing closer to being Christian. Right now, there's no way. You can't. An active member of the LDS church today can never say with a clear conscience that Mormonism is Christian. If you're a Christian and a Mormon says to you, the Mormon church is Christian, say, read Doctrine and Covenants 132. I don't need to go any farther. And if they justify polygamy, you know exactly where they stand and where their heart is. You fathers and mothers out there with daughters, you LDS fathers and mothers who have daughters, would you want to give your daughter as a teenager to some man would you want to give your daughter as a teenager to some man with 20 wives? What, what is going on? When did, we when did we check in our brains? Give me a break. It just incenses me. I can't fathom the practice in the life of my daughters, either now or in the eternities. But let me let you in on a secret, a secret that sometimes comes to my heart. I can fathom the practice for me. When I'm thinking as a man and when I'm thinking with my flesh, I can imagine the practice for me. Oh, it would be nice to have a few wives there in the kitchen, a couple more out in the garage, a couple weeding the lawn, a couple making money for the house. And then, you know, in the bedroom, wow. You know, I, I understand where it comes from. But be honest with yourself. This has nothing to do with Christianity. Nothing at all. What a power trip. You get the picture. This is twistianity. Twistianity, not Christianity. And twistianity is not Christianity. I don't know, that was pretty profound, I know. But you cannot twist the scriptures. You look at any biblical example of polygamy and all you see is pain. The LDS leaders, I'm sorry, no disrespect, need to be real men and they need to stand up and renounce the past present and future practice of polygamy and rescind Doctrine and Covenants 132. We're going to open up the phone lines now for anybody who has a comment and, or a question. I would love to hear them. I think this would truly be a step for the LDS Church toward truly being Christian. All right. Uh, let's see. We have Alyssa from Roy on line one. Alyssa, you're on. Hi, Sean. Hi. Well, first of all, I want to thank you, and God bless you so much for this ministry that you're doing. Thanks. I actually, I have a question that's completely off the topic of polygamy. I hope you don't mind. No, I don't mind. 
I was talking to my Mormon friend the other day, and I was wondering with him why they don't drink any wine, because Jesus drank wine. Right. And my friend told me that they actually weren't drinking wine with fermented grapes with alcohol, because you need yeast to ferment grapes. Therefore, what Jesus drank was more like really strong grape juice. Right. I've never heard this before. Is, is this a Mormon teaching? And I want to know what your thoughts were on this. It is a Mormon teaching, and it is, uh, frankly, from everything I've read, because I came from Mormonism, many Christian churches teach, too, that Jesus drank a table wine. The only exception to that, though, Alyssa, is the fact that Jesus said, you know, of John, he came and he was, he was so strict, and you didn't like him, and I come and you call me a drunkard or a wine-bibber and a, and a glutton. So Jesus knew that he was drinking alcoholic wine because why would he say, why are you ca you're calling me a, a wine bibber and a glutton? And so I, I, I'm sure that he drank alcoholic wine. How would you know that wine was new or old if you didn't? It's, it's a, really a semantical thing. Your LDS friend is focusing on the wrong idea. We don't know. We don't know uh, absolutely but we know that Jesus said, hey, you're calling me a wine bibber and a glutton. And that infers that this means he was drinking wine that had alcohol in it. And he did eat at the parties that he went to. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. No, it makes total sense. Good. Anything else, my friend? No, that's it. All right, sister. Thanks for calling. Keep watching. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. We have Douglas on line two. Douglas, you're up. Yes. Um, I understand that um, uh, the polygamist leader of today just this week was announced as a new member of the top 10 most wanted list by the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, and that they would continue to search for him until they find him, period. Huh. And then there's a lot of people that have been calling in with suggestions as to where to find him. Perhaps they're looking for that $100,000 reward huh. if he is captured. But I know, having lived in Salt Lake my whole life, mm -hmm. that there are neighborhoods, there are areas right in the downtown 9th East, 13th South area. Mm -hmm. There are places up in the highland areas of Sandy, Utah, right. where polygamy is still being practiced today. And whether they're fundamentalists or regular members of the churches in those areas right. is questionable. Yeah. Even though the FBI is searching, a lot of the state attorney generals in the past, and perhaps even today, are looking the other way. Wow. What do you think? I, I don't know what to say. I'm not an expert on, on the current uh, uh, events of what's going on in the state, par partially because I don't live here. But uh, I, uh, I think you're making good points. And I think that Emerson said that the, the shadow, this is a paraphrase, the shadow of an, of an originator of a religion or a group will cast out into the lives of its members way down the road. And when you come and you look at what's going on with the fundamentalists, this is nothing but a result of the Doctrine and Covenants 132 and Joseph Smith's early practices of it. And it's not pretty. The LDS are constantly saying, look at our fruits, look at our fruits. I'm looking at that fruit. And I don't think anybody would mind. And in fact, I think you asked me, let me ask you this. What would you do if the LDS church stood up? You know what? We apologize for what happened there. We don't agree with it. We didn't like it then. We don't like it now. And we get rid of it completely. What would you think? I would doubt that, seriously. 
<laughs> you doubt their motives, but what would you think of the news? Well, yeah, that would be that would be an interesting. It's like uh, Hill Camorra back in New York. Two civilizations ended with wars there. Right. You don't dig and try and find dead soldiers, helmets, swords, or anything, right? Because they know there aren't any there. Yeah. Hey, I really appreciate you call. We got a bunch of calls. Keep watching. Share the show. Yep. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Nice evening. Thank you, Jeff. We're going to Jeff and Draper. Jeff, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Mark. I've got two questions for you. It's okay. Um, you obviously believe in the Bible, correct? Yes. Okay. How do you explain the me that took place between Hagar? Are you there? Yeah. Are you uh, talking about Hagar? Well, I'm talking about many of the prophets. Yeah. That, that lived back then. I mean, it, it, to explain to me if, if if you do believe in the Bible. Yeah. How that could have taken place back then? I uh, I don't think that you're going to find anywhere in the Bible, and though I can read quotes otherwise, especially in Doctrine and Covenants 132. I'm not talking about the Doctrine. Okay, but just listen. About the Bible. I don't think anywhere in the Bible you're going to find God ever telling anybody to take a second wife or a third or more. But they had concubines. There's a difference between wife. God's expressed will and God's permissive will. He, uh, and, and that is, okay, I believe it was his permissive will. Every single uh, time they practiced polygamy in the Old Testament, it was disastrous. God had a permissive will and he had an expressed will. He let them do what he want and he lets us do what we want with his permissive will. But we will face the consequences. It doesn't make it right. Can you give me an example of the disastrous effects of it? Every single, every, I'm not going to go into a scripture battle, but you give me an example of, of one that wasn't a disastrous effect. Well, there, there, there was the... Uh... Okay, let's think about this. Let's go, first let's go to Abraham and Sarah, Sarah and, and Hagar. Uh, Sarah kicks Hagar out with her son into the desert to die. Boy, that sounds real loving to me, doesn't it? That sounds like a real good effect right there, doesn't it? It is. Was it sanctioned by God? It wasn't sanctioned by God. Nothing in Scripture says it was. So what you're doing is you're twisting to try to make it fit what your thinking is. It has never been sanctioned by God. It's not a practice. It was, it was Adam and Eve are our model, not Adam and Eve and Jane. I said that at the beginning. They are our model. And man has tweaked it, and man is the one who's messed it up. God... He's, he's let us make our decisions, but it doesn't make it right. Doctrine and Covenants 132 is a joke, and it's created more pain and hardship in the lives of women and children than anything else. Now, my second question, just very quickly. Okay. It sounds like you were a member of the church at one time. Yeah, 40 years. Okay. What made you leave? Were you... My sins. Were you excommunicated at some point? I asked to be excommunicated. If you watch show one, I think five and seven, I think I talk about why I left the church. In fact, last week I talked about it, show nine. You can get that online at www.bornagainmormon.com. But it was because I could not overcome my sin nature as a Latter-day Saint, and I needed a new heart. And when I got that new heart, I began to see and understand the Bible and his word in a different way. Well, I appreciate your time. Thanks for calling, man. Yeah, Call back. Appreciate it. Thank you. David in Salt Lake City. David, you're on line one. Hi, this is David. Hi. Hey, I have a question. Yes. Um, I, I've been LDS, or I was LDS for quite a, many years, and one of the things that was very hard for me was when I pray, uh -huh. um, the, word, the wording and the things that I was taught to pray for um, and about uh -huh. were, were very instilled or, or uh, indoctrinated into my mind. Yeah. 
Um, so for that, as I started to leave the church, there was um, it was hard for me to pray because uh-huh. I was taught to pray in a certain way, and since I didn't agree with with, with the LDS Church anymore, I needed to find a, a different way to pray. Okay. How, how did you ever? Did you have a ever have a an experience like this or yeah or because I noticed when you prayed at the beginning of the show you use different types of words yeah how, how do you overcome that or how do you, how do you get to a point where you're praying the way that that it would would work instead of right getting they see what I'm getting at I know what you're getting at David it uh, took a long time uh, sometimes when I'm tired and I'm not thinking I automatically go into LDS prayer talk. You know, or when I, blessing of the food if I'm in a hurry, nursing, strengthen our bodies. I mean, it naturally happens. That's how we were, we were taught. And, uh, and, and I don't think the LES Church automatically teaches for you to do rote prayers. They speak a lot against that. But I know what you're saying. Culturally, we learn a certain way to pray. The only thing I can tell you is that it took time. And it, I came to un, when I came to understand God, who he was, relative to my being saved by his grace and through the blood of his son, I started relating to him in a way that was more like a child to a father or a friend in real need. So what happened was uh, I, uh, I would suggest talking to the Lord like you're really just talking with your best friend and using just regular English and communicating through him in that way. And you're going to discover that um, that will naturally occur over time. But some of those things take a long time to, to break. I understand. David and Magna on line two. Two Davids in a row. Fire away, David. <laughs> yes, how you doing? I'm doing well. You? Uh, quite well. Um, I just wanted to clarify something that came up. Um, I dabbled into archaeology for some while. Uh-huh. I got really curious about it. And the one caller was incorrect. There have been artifacts found around the Hill Cumorah. So, oh. But, you know. Really? Yeah. In fact, I was just watching, uh, too, um, regarding some other artifacts, if I may bring this up, uh-huh. on uh, TBN. Uh-huh. There was an archaeologist that brought up death masks from uh, the Inca area uh-huh. that had dinosaurs on them. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. So there's some quite interesting things going out there. The main issue is not so much the physical uh-huh. evidence of truth, right? but how God speaks to your heart. Right. Like the brothers on the road to Emmaus. That's right. I'll agree with that. As far as the archaeological, I, I look forward to looking into that. I'm always open to seeing what's out there. It's exciting. Hey, thanks, David. Take care. Okay, you too. We're going to Chuck in Layton. Chuck, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, hi. Thank you. You're welcome. I, uh, with regard to polygamy, yeah. I um, was struck by the fact of another angle, that here is Mormonism uh, claiming to be true, but... If it was really true, wouldn't it remain consistent with what Joseph Smith started in the first place? Yeah. Don't they show that they're false by the fact that they're disavowing what Joseph Smith began in the first place? Well, let me comment on that. Uh-huh. They believe that, and this is, this is not like doctrine, but this is kind of a tongue-in-cheek phrase I've heard many times, that a, de- that a live prophet trumps a dead one. And so they believe that the live prophet and his insights trump what the dead ones have said but here's my comment that that you make me think of this when you say this question Mm -hmm. where are the real mormons today because if if polygamy is still part of their practice and they do believe it you don't hear them calling saying we don't believe it we don't believe it where are the real mormons 
who stand up and say, we believe in polygamy. We believe in this. We believe. They don't. They're trying to be so Christian that they're not even mentioning what their true doctrines are. That's the difficult thing and the annoying thing with the counter. I think the counter cult ministries have a good point when it comes to there's so much, oh, we are of Jesus, we are going to be saved, and yet they don't mention that they also believe in things like polygamy. Where are the real, where are the real LDS today? Stand up, let's hear your thoughts. Well, that's the mark of a spiritual counterfeit is adopting all the Christian terminology and redefining everything. Very good point, David. Yeah. Very good point. Thank you for your call, brother. All right. We're going to Matt and Roy on line two. Matt, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. I just uh, I want to say God bless you. I love your ministry, and I'm so encouraged by your love and your patience. Um, it's not always there, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I guess first I wanted to address uh, something that you were talking about before was God's permissive will. Yeah. And it, it just came to my mind while you were talking about that. Is, is I believe it was Christ that said, you know, Everything for me is permissive, but not everything is beneficial. Yeah, I think it was Paul, but that's a, you're right. It's Paul? in the Bible, yeah. Okay. And the, the second thing, I guess uh, the polygamy issue uh, is interesting to me, not necessarily from the polygamy standpoint, right. but from the idea that the validity of a scripture that says one thing, and then a couple years later, or many years later, whatever can be changed, right. I guess to me, a, a scripture that changes when it's supposed to be God-breathed and, and inspired, I, I, I would question the validity of any scripture that changes. I would agree with you. I would agree completely with you. I, th- I think it's a great point. And, you know, to kind of go along with that, in Timothy it talks about the characteristics of a bishop being that he has one wife. What that does is it says polygamy was still around with people who are choosing to do that. But it doesn't mean that it was ever one of God's uh, commandments or anything that he really authorized. So, but you can see a consistency. The beautiful thing about the Bible is, is it points out the bad things about people and the good. There's no, there's no uh, covering anything up there. But it's consistent in its message, and it doesn't change. And what you're saying is you can't trust a scripture that at one time it's saying this, and then later they change it. And I agree with you completely. Right, and I guess that's what confuses me about the whole continued revelation doctrine of the, the Mormon Church, and I'm not a Christian scholar by any means, I'm not a Mormon scholar by any means, but it just, I guess it confuses me, and I was wondering, does the Church acknowledge the fact that, yeah, we, we know our Scripture's changing, and, and how do they address that? Yeah, they completely acknowledge it. They, In fact, you will hear some of them, uh, the very strong LDS people say, the living prophet's words are stronger than anything written. Now, Harold B. Lee said at one time, we only can go by what was written. But, you know, they, they really believe that things can change and that the modern day prophet, the reason they have them is because he can respond to things that uh, were not written in the scriptures before. And they really do believe, they don't really make any bones about that. So how is that not saying then that, hey, we, we think God was wrong? You know, God changed his mind. He was wrong with what he did before, so now he's revealed us his newer, better plan because he screwed up before. How they would answer that is by saying, well, God wasn't wrong, but God can see the whole picture, and he knows what's needed at a certain time. If you're raising a child, you're going to teach them one thing. When they become a teenager, you might teach them another. And that's their view of it, that God is, 
is dynamic in how he's approaching us through his with his prophets and that if you re, re, just rely on something that was written back in 400 BC or whatever that's not reliable to our modern day and that's why they believe in modern prophets that's how they would answer it but here's what I would say and they also say there's no continued there's nothing in the bible that says you can't have any more scripture nothing in the bible that says that and if you really look at it that's probably true but the problem was is that the, the, the first-hand witnesses of Jesus Christ, the people who saw him, they recorded what they saw. He was the final testament. He closed it all up, and we have his word now, his Bible, as our guide. We don't need the continued... And Hebrews 1.1 speaks that clearly. They, so if you're ever talking to one, just go to Hebrews 1.1 and say, look it. In, in, God at sundry times talked to us by his prophets, but today he does it by Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, brother. Thanks for your call. Hey, thanks for uh, having me on. All right, take care. All right, see you, Sean. All right, bye-bye. Joe and Magna. Joe and Magna. I hear the water in Magna is great. What's going on? It's awesome. I love it. Yeah, what's happening, Joe? How you doing, Sean? I'm doing all right. Well, um, I would, well, um, I was supposed to go on splits with the missionaries tonight, but they stood me up. Well, anyway, I'd say about <laughs> 30 to 40% of, of uh, stuff that's heard on here is, is true. The other half, I'm not sure what's going on. But um, Well, you recognize this 30 or 40% is true, and the rest you're undecided? Yes. Okay. That's all right. Uh, yeah, but um, I was just flipping their channels, and uh, well, I was like, quite surprised with the show. And uh, it's just quite interesting to watch yeah and um i don't know i just like to um i'm a, like um active mormon and uh just like to say the truth church is true and happy tuesday amen hey, see you later joe joe yeah you gonna give me a chance to ask you a question uh, hey uh are you married no i'm not 17 high school 17 in high school and um when you say the church is true how do you know that how do i know it yeah because uh, I've I've uh, prayed about it. I've read I've read scriptures about it. I've felt the spirit. Uh huh. And now, how do you differ your church being true from the Jehovah's Witness, who will say the exact same thing as you? Why do you Why are you comparing Jehovah's Witnesses? Okay, as the Catholic. Be, because uh, I've gone to Catholic churches and. Uh, I just feel uncomfortable. I haven't felt any spirit there. Any spirit. And do you believe possibly that the spirit you feel is a, is a spirit of continuity, of you being in line with the things you've been taught since you were young? Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that's true. All I would suggest you do is, is that you read the Bible and see what the Word says. That's it. I'm not asking you to do anything else but read the Bible and say to God, God, I want to know the truth of your will in my life. That's it. I, I, you can, if you want to continue to go and stand with whatever you've been taught and all this, you go ahead and do that. But give God directly the chance as you read the Bible and see what happens uh, along the way, Joe. That's all I'm asking. Will you try that? Yeah. All right, man. Give that a go. Call us back and tell us how it goes. Start with the Gospel of John and just read John. Just try that. One book. It'll take you about a week. Okay. All right, brother. Thanks for calling. Yeah. See you later. Happy Tuesday. Okay, you too. 
We have Merrill in Holiday on line three. Merrill, you're on. Yeah, thanks for taking my call, Sean. You're welcome. Talked to you a couple of weeks ago. Oh, good. Just wanted to make a couple of points. Uh, uh, it's best uh, expressed in Bruce R. McConkie's Mormon Doctrine um, under the uh, item of plural marriage uh, from such fragmentary scriptural records as are now available, we learn that the Lord did command some of his ancient prophets to practice polygamy, excuse me, plural marriage, uh -huh. uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, among others, uh, who conformed to this ennobling and exalting principle. The whole history of ancient Israel was one in which plurality of wives was a divinely accepted and approved uh, order of matrimony. And then just a little bit later on, he comments on uh, Wilford Woodruff's manifesto in 1890. At that time, uh, Elder McConkie mentions um, that the conditions were such that the Lord, by revelation, withdrew the commandment to, practice the, uh, to continue the practice, and President Wilford Woodruff issued the manifesto directing that it cease. Mm -hmm. so, um, in 1890? Yeah. Mm -hmm. so it, has, uh, uh, it has ceased as... Uh, in regards to a, um, a mortal marriage, I, I understand you're, you're, you're commenting on, you know, uh, ceilings in the temple, and that you were you correct there. Right. Uh, but as far as mortality... Oh, uh, I know mortality. You're right. A man is only to have one wife. You're right. But let me ask you this, in that sense. What, would, what, do you think, what message do you think I'm getting across? Uh, one, the doctrine's still in the Doctrine and Covenants. That teaches it. But, but it has been uh, terminated. The, the mortal practice. So I agree with that. In the present by Wilford Woodruff. By Wilford Woodruff. You, uh, one thing, Merrill, just, just as a, a sideline, you should read uh, D. Michael Quinn's research on the 1890s manifesto and exactly how that went down really before you support that it was terminated then. I mean, it's really quite a picture. But I, I really don't want to go down that road. All I want to say is imagine that you teach your kids. You know what, kids? I'm sorry for this example. It's at the top of my head. Doing drugs is wrong. Smoking pot is just, is just the best thing in the world, and it's part of God's plan. But it's not for this world. The prophets told us it's not of this. Now, they used to do it, and they loved it, and it was great. And we know that God does it, and, and he's into it. And we know that when we die, we're going to do it. But right now, the prophets said smoking pot's not good. What message are you giving to the kids as they grow up and they learn this stuff? Yeah, and I, I see your point there, Yeah, Sean. However... Again, it was practiced in the, uh, the Old Testament. No, it wasn't. What I mean by wasn't, it wasn't sanctioned by God, Merrill. That is not true. Um, not true. We'll I mean, have to res respectfully disagree. We can respectfully disagree. I would, uh, but, but I got to go on, but I, I understand your points. I, I just stand categorically that God never sanctioned polygamous marriage in the Bible. Somebody call and give me the quote where God says it. We'll go from there. Merrill, call back another time. Thanks for your call. Sure, Sean. Okay, man. See you later. Jane, we're going to Jane on line two. I'm being told to sit up. Jane. Um, I've got a question just about your membership in the church. Yeah. Previous membership. Yes. Um, what was it after 40 years um, of being an LDS member that made you all of a sudden decide it wasn't true? It was a progression, uh, Jane. Um, I... Uh, I really tried to live it. You really, I should, you should let me send you the book uh, because it tells the story. Um, and just, I got to do a really quick promo here for it for people who are watching. Born Again Mormon, www.bornagainmormon. You can get this book. We'll send it to you for free if you can't afford it. If you can't afford it, it costs $9.99. And it tells that whole story. But, Jane, what happened was um, 
I could not in my heart feel reconciled to God no matter what I did. I had an experience by the side of the road that completely changed my understanding of God. I was born again. I continued to be a Latter-day Saint for four years thereafter until I was led out by reading the Bible alone. I never went to another church. And then I came to understand that Christians uh, who have been born again believe exactly the same thing that I came to understand. That was what happened. Okay. And then um, what about your family? Obviously, they were LDS, I'm assuming, Yeah. you. Um, what do they believe now? My parents, my brothers and sisters are all still LDS. Uh, it's been very difficult. We've had some uh, difficult interactions. My parents are fine with me because they see that I'm, I'm, I'm better now than I was as an active member. Uh, but my brothers and sisters, it's been hard on them. My wife is LDS and my three daughters are LDS, but I have to make this clear after my wife seeing what the Lord did for me in my life. She uh, was baptized a Christian not more than uh, probably four weeks ago with my youngest daughter. My two other middle daughters, one goes to NYU and she's pretty much of the world still, uh, doesn't really know what to do. And my middle daughter has uh, committed her life to Christ, has not been baptized. Has not been baptized to your born again? To, by, into, a, into, a, uh, into the body of Christ, not to a Christian church, None of us have been baptized into a Christian church. We've been baptized into the body of Christ. Oh, okay, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. We'll see you later. Alex in Salt Lake City on line three. Alex, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how's it going? Hey, I'm doing all right. How are you? Um, I just had a question concerning um, how God didn't condone polygamy in the Old Testament. How he didn't? Yes, as you were saying before. Yeah, well, he didn't command it. Uh he, uh, he didn't command it, Alex. What he did was uh, he let people have their way on a number of different things. And, uh, but he did not tell uh, Abraham to go take Hagar. Sarah, Sarah told him to go take her. Abraham was supposed to have seed, and he was supposed to have children according to the promises of God, and they got tired of waiting. So they took it into their own hands, and they did their own thing. They took their, their will, and they placed it upon the promises. And what happened? Disaster. And everything along the way, David's uh, relationships, his concubines, he had nothing but trouble with his plural marriages. They were never sanctioned by God. You're not going to find anywhere in the uh, Old Testament where God says, David, take unto yourself other wives. It will be, it's my will. It's what I want you to do. And if you use that as, as the reason or the justification for polygamy in the early church and the spiritual polygamy that goes on today, you're just sorely misguided. The, the one question that I had, if it wasn't condoned, why didn't Angel come to Hagar and, re- and command her to return to Abraham? Well, all good things... Uh, if God didn't, didn't condone it, he would have just let, let the marriage dissolve. And God will take anybody who, uh, who turns to him in whatever situation and turn it to their good. Hagar prayed to God when she was about to die, and he heard her voice. When, when Sarah sent her out to the uh, desert to die, she called to God and he said, I hear your voice I'm gonna, and I'm going to do something good with this. And what did he do? He turned it into uh, our Arab brothers and sisters out there. Okay, but God can take all things. He's the great fixer. But it doesn't mean he was behind it in the first place. He wasn't behind any of the failures that we make, but he can take them and use them for our good. The prop, here's the problem. When you make a jump from a situation like that, 
way back in 1,500 years before Christ came to after Jesus came and a man saying to 15, 16-year-old girls and women who are married, hey, God says you will have eternal life if you marry me. There is such a big difference between those two. Make sense? Um, disagree. <laughs> okay. Well, you, you can disagree. I don't mind. Uh, thank you for the call. We're going on to Mary. Call back in Riverton. Mary, you are on Heart of the Matter. Hi. This is the first time I've seen the show. I just had a question. You got a doozy for the first one, didn't you? Yeah. It's a really good subject. But um, my question is, isn't that true that the church thinks that the only way you can get to the celestial kingdom is if you are sealed, and that they believe that there's more righteous women in the church, so that is why they'll be polygamy in the after world, whatever? Uh, couple things. Doctrine and Covenants 132, the section I've been talking about, does say that if you don't participate in this, you will be damned. That's doctrine right there. As far as uh, there's more women in heaven than men, I've heard that. I don't think it's doctrine. I'm not sure. I think that's all hypothecation by members trying to understand the justice. But I, I have something in, in response to that. They say the infant mortality rates among boys is like 50% uh, uh, more uh, than it is of girls. So infants die in, in, at birth and younger and, and, and after male. So as far as being more in heaven, I think that statistic is completely wiped out by the infant mortality rates because the women last longer than the men in that situation. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. You take care. Keep watching. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to some questions here. Linda in Brigham City. What camera? Here we go. Sorry. Uh, real LDS women, we do believe in polygamy, but we also live by the laws of the land. It is not legal, but was instituted by God. We are not ready for polygamy, ready is in quotations yet, but God will bring it back at the proper time. Well, Linda, you know what? I'm glad at least you're speaking the truth. This is what Mormons believe. And actually, polygamy was done away with with the 1890 Manifesto because Utah wanted statehood, and the twins of barbarism were slavery and polygamy. And, and they just had to buck in order to get the statehood. So you're right. The laws of the land prohibited it, and they had to buck, and they were getting pretty seriously threatened for not conforming to the laws of the land. And so they did. They did conform. But bottom line, Mormons still believe in the practice of polygamy. Now, Linda, here's the real question. Does Jesus Christ want women to be married to, uh, uh, one, many women to be married to one man? Does the Lord Jesus Christ want women to be in that situation? Did he suffer for men and women equally? Does he want all of them to be free? Linda, have you ever looked in the eyes of the women who practice polygamy? Have you ever looked at their faces? Have you ever read the reports of what it's like to be in that situation? There's always exceptions. You can take any exception. You can find a man who lives with 17 cats and, and he'll say this is ordained of God and he likes it and it works out well. There's always an exception, but generally it's a miserable, man-made, man-fed institution and it's sick. So there's my answer to you, Linda. Uh, let's see. Laura from Midvale, Genesis 419. I should look this up, but I'm not gonna. And it says polygamy was first introduced by a descendant of Cain. Any questions? Ooh, very good. I'll have to check that out. I trust you. Laura in Midville, thank you very much. Max in Salt Lake City. Polygamy is not part of the LDS faith anymore because of modern day revelation. He wanted me to know that. Well, Max, I'm sorry, but polygamy is still practiced in the temples. 
Uh, and a man can know he can have many wives in the eternities waiting for him uh, if he does practice spiritual polygamy now. And Doctrine and Covenants 132 of the LDS Church, which is still part of their canon and accepted and embraced, uh, is, does confirm and accept polygamy. We're going to Natalie on, in Taylorsville on line three. Natalie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm starting to lose my voice. <laughs> I was just calling um, a little while ago. You were talking about um, that a modern prophet would trump and yeah. dead prophet. Yeah. And that is not true at all. Really? True. Um, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day, Latter-day Saints. Yes. I know that every prophet since Joseph Smith and even before them, they have all taught the same gospel. And President Hinckley speaks just the same things that Howard W. Hunter or Spencer W. Kimball or... Oh, I'm so glad to get this on tape. This is wonderful. Your testimony. How long have you been active in the church? I'm 25 years, and Uh I'm a returned missionary. Oh, so you're qualified, been through the temple? Been there. And, And you hold a position now in the church? Yes, I do. And you're saying that everything that the prophets of old have taught are the same as it's being taught today, yesterday, and way going back all the way to Adam. Going all the way back to Adam. And it's all equal. It's all equal. Okay, I'm glad for that opinion. It is categorically wrong, but I am, I'm glad you expressed it. And uh, that's what this show is about, so we can get this stuff out in the air. Latter-day Saints, if you disagree with that, call and tell us. But I think that most of you know that is not the case when it comes to when a modern prophet speaks. And I can get you, in fact, I'm going to get the quotes for you where it says, the modern prophets, they don't say Trump, but they trump the dead ones. I'll get that for you for next week. Thanks for calling. We're going to Mike in Provo. Mike, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, this is Mike, and I just want to say this is, kind of true on every religion. I was born and raised Catholic. Yeah. And there was a lot of stuff I didn't agree with the Catholic and became Christian. So, uh, you know, my book, you know, I, I think your program's great. I've never heard it before, but uh, that's just basically what I wanted to say. Hey, Mike, you know what? I agree with you. And in fact, I am not a religionist, and I know that all of them have a very difficult and checkered history. Um, the problem is, is many of them will kind of own up to it. You know, I, I talked to some very significant pastors, uh, Chuck Smith, who started a revolution, a Jesus movement back in the 60s, and his quote is, church history stinks. The problem is the LDS church maintains that it's the only true church and that everything was great, and that's just not the case. So that's why I kind of am on it tonight. Right. I'm just saying, I just think it's a great program, and that's what Christianity is about. It's about the Bible, and that's all. Amen. Thanks for the call, brother. Okay. Take care. I'll see you later. We're going with Todd and Roy. Todd, you're on Heart of the Matter. How you doing? Hey, doing all right. Hey, uh, uh, about the prophet. Yes. It is true that the prophets of old are this, the same doctrine that we learn and are taught today, but the modern-day prophet gives us modern-day revelation. And if you don't mind, uh, let's see here. The Eighth Article of Faith. We believe the Bible to be the Word of God as far as it is translated correctly. And it says we believe the Book of Mormon to be the Word of God. And that's all I have to say. Thanks. 
Okay, man. Thank you. I disagree with you completely. And, uh, and I'm going to bring the quotes next week so that those of you who think that the modern day prophet is speaking the exact same thing. First of all, it's not logical. If he comes up with new revelation, he's going to bring in things that are new to you. Therefore, they weren't present in the old prophets. So therefore, it's different. So, but I won't even go down that road. Let's go to Wendy on line three. Wendy in Salt Lake City. Yes. Hi. Hi. I just wanted to uh, uh, make a comment on uh, concubines. Yes. Um, and I was looking up in my Bible dictionary. Uh-huh. And uh, first of all, uh, it says that the first mention of concubines occurs in Genesis 22:24. Okay. Um, where Ruma is described as the concubine of Nahor. Um, it, it just also goes on to say that King Solomon is especially remembered for his many concubines. Yeah. But um, King Solomon, um, they led to King Solomon's downfall because they, of their pagan religion. They certainly did. And, uh, and then also, when the law of Moses came in um, to, to be... Uh, the rights of the concubines um, were uh, were recognized, and concubines were guarded from inhumane and callous treatment. Right. And that's in Exodus twenty-one seven to eleven and Deuteronomy ten twenty-four through fourteen. Wendy. Yes. Thank you so much for that that scriptural support. I love it. It gives it gives dimension to the discussion. And please call back. Sure will. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. We have Tammy on line one. Tammy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi. Um, two quick questions for you. Yeah. One, um, in regards to polygamy, if you actually read historically around the time of Joseph Smith, mm -hmm. there were multiple people who had um, multiple wives. Sure. Didn't do it for a lustful matter, which is kind of the essence I'm getting from you, is that, oh, I want to have you know, multiple wives so I can sleep with a lot of women, which was definitely not the case. Okay, now wait. I may not know that it was the case, but you can't say it definitely wasn't. I can't say it definitely wasn't, but if you read anything... I'm reading a very, I'm reading a very good book right now that I suggest you read, and I think you're going to see some really interesting things. Okay, I think just more of the reason behind it was um, for to support those multiple wives. Okay. Uh, anyway, on to my second question. Okay. Um, you say that you used to be an LDS member yeah. and that you left the church and you read the Bible and you prayed about it. Yeah. Um, my question is then, did you take that same effort and put it towards the Book of Mormon? Oh, absolutely. Did, did you pray and did you get a negative feeling? Absolutely. No, I didn't get a negative feeling. No, and the Book of, the Book of Mormon... It, true it, and... What? Do you think that it's not true then, that it's all just falsified? No, I think that the Book of Mormon teaches some great truths. I think that it's a book that centers on, on, on uh, 19th century Christian thought. I think that it, uh, it has great messages all the way through. The problem is, is it's, uh, the historical claims to it are just categorically false. And the, and the problem with it is that if you embrace the Book of Mormon as just a, a, a true book, you're going to go and you're going to embrace everything else. And before you know it, you're going to be the wife of, of a man with, with seven others. <laughs> oh, I trust my, my husband won't marry other ones. Ask him if he wants to. With, uh, with Joseph Smith, he was a very uneducated man. There's no way that he could have just written Joseph it. Smith was an extremely intelligent man who was very, very well read. And where do you get that? 
Uh, I, I, read, I read a lot about him. I could go into the back and forths, but read Quinn, read what Michael Quinn says about him, and read what some of the other scholars said. Now, I don't think he, I think he didn't have a classic education, and I know it was limited as far as formality, but this guy was no hayseed. He was a very smart man. If you read this Book of Mormon, you know that he could not have written this. Oh, oh, you've got to be kidding. If inside your heart, you would know that this is true doctrine. And I think it's really bad that you... And now you're going to go to the mean stuff? Come on. Just, just because you're not prevailing because you're not no. prevailing doesn't mean you have to get he, mean. Joseph Smith, you're, you haven't done any reading on him. All you have done... I've done a lot of reading No, on you it. haven't. All you've he, done is said... You left the church was because you couldn't handle the strict okay. it was. And you've admitted that. In the, you've admitted that in multiple you know, copies of your show. Right. But you just couldn't handle it. You right. couldn't handle how hard it was. You Neither sinned, can you. And Neither can you. I can. You're a covenant breaker. My sins, and you I are a covenant breaker. Given. You are a covenant breaker, my dear. I am not. You're not? I'm not. That is a lie. I just think it's sad. Do you give all your time and talents to the Church of Jesus Christ, all of it? You're a covenant breaker. My I, dear, you are not telling the truth on air right now. Now, this is, this is the thing about it. You think that you're being obedient, but you're not. You cannot live up to all the edicts of the LDS Church, and you're fooling yourself if you think you can. You don't accept the Lord's atonement, then. Uh, what are you talking about? That's all, I, that's all I'm for. Listen, I think that we have different uh, ideas, but I think that you're a covenant breaker. When you come to understand that, you'll understand Jesus better. we got to go to another call. Listen, we only have one minute left. I can't go to the others. Uh, I want to say I know that tonight's topic was a little bit hot because of the nature of it. I want to talk about the Lord. But the, the LDS Church and its members cannot continue to say that they're Christian when they continue to believe that they're going to be practicing polygamy with God thereafter. Wives, think about this. Where did this come from? Examine it, then read the Bible and go to the Lord and see where is truth. Hopefully... Through shows like this, you still know that our message is about Jesus Christ, about being reborn through faith on him and him alone, and getting a new heart and a new spirit, and knowing that he is the source of your salvation. Nothing you can do, not any right, not any practice, Jesus and Jesus alone. We hope you step, uh, check in next week for Heart of the Matter. Until then, God bless. I'm on a ride, going nowhere I am an existential cowboy on the wind And I won't be coming out, I'm going This man's awake a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the light filled monkeys start.